I did not have the greatest life in my 20s and part of my 30s. After high school, my parents forced me into going into college. The problem with that, though, was I had no interest in college, nor did I have even the slightest clue of what I wanted to major in or what interested me. Their solution was to force me into what my dad did, which was electrical engineering. Needless to say, I couldn't grasp it. I struggled through it, and since I wasn't getting the grades they wanted, they threatened to stop paying for it, and shortly after, they followed through. I was hardly making enough money to pay rent because, of course, I couldn't live with them, so there's no way I could afford tuition, so I dropped out. Things only got worse from there. I lost my job, couldn't find another, and I couldn't pay for rent anymore, so... I started couch hopping between the few friends that I had. It was not the place to be. I hated it, and it caused severe depression. Not having money to do things yourself, not being able to support yourself, and being a third wheel really dug at me, so I had to make a change. One of my friends that I stayed with was becoming, and even then became, a diesel mechanic so he got me a job with him. I wasn't a mechanic, but I was basically their assistant. I would get the tools, fluids, sweep things, just stuff like that. However, over time, I found myself interested in the rigs, so I watched the mechanics, I got to know the drivers, and even went on a few rides with them. It was honestly great. It was the most fun that I'd had in a long time. This caused me to get my license for driving, and eventually, I became a trucker myself, and I love it. Sorry for the long intro here, but I wanted to explain my background some to better understand the reason for my decisions. Because of this, I've become a very forgiving and giving person. I hate seeing people down on their luck, because I've been there, so I always try to help where I can and that includes picking up people that need a ride, helping people on the side of the road, things like that. It has definitely gotten me in trouble before, but I have a few here that I will always remember. I was about midway to my destination when I stopped at a little diner to eat. I noticed there was a younger-looking girl in one of the booths near the back. She looked... rough. Her hair was a mess, like it hadn't been brushed, she was wearing an old hoodie that looked dirty and had holes in it, and the hood looked like it was almost torn off. The only thing she had in front of her was a glass of water and lemons, and had asked the waitress about sides she could get instead of a whole meal. That is the kind of thing that just hurts me to see. She'd obviously been through something, and I felt the need to reach out. I noticed that she had a side of grits, so I asked the waitress to order a stew for her. When she brought it to her, she pointed to me and the girl started crying. She grabbed her meal, and she came and sat with me to finish it, and she thanked me. We talked for a while, and I learned that she was trying to start her life over. She reminded me of myself back then, which made me want to help more. 
I asked her where she was heading and she wanted to go further west, because she had friends there that could help her. That happened to be where I was heading, so I offered to take her as far as I could. This seemed to cheer her up, so after finishing our meals, we headed back to my truck, where I gave her an extra bottle of water, some protein bars, and an extra coat I had, just in case. We got settled in, and we headed out. The ride started out fine. We had some small talk about what we liked. I told her a bit about my past, and I told her that I understood her thought process, and I thought that she did the right thing. If it made her happier, of course. She looked at me squinting like she was confused or suspicious at first, and said, Why would you say that? I was confused, but I just mentioned what she had told me earlier, and said that she deserved to be happy. She then seemed to question me and asked if I knew her or her parents, or if I was sent by them. I tried explaining to her that I had no idea who she was past what she's told me, and that I definitely did not know her family. She then got quiet, and when I looked over at her, she looked like she was about to cry. Something was definitely wrong here, but I didn't know what to do or say. After a few seconds of silence, I tried apologizing, saying that I didn't mean to worry her or upset her, just that I was happy that she was finding happiness too. That's when she started bawling. I let her get it out as I drove in silence, and then she seemed to start having a conversation with herself and the talking seemed to be in slightly different tones, like one was calming while the other seemed angry. This is what I remember, but it's probably not verbatim since it's been a few years. He's just being nice. He gave you stuff without asking for anything in return. But wait till he gets there and demands repayment. He wouldn't do that. He's different. I can tell. Oh, bullshit. That's what you said about Bob. The minute he arrives, he'll ask you for a favor or turn your ass in in a heartbeat. No, he wouldn't, he doesn't know what happened. Oh, yes, he does. I can tell. Now, I first thought that she was talking to me, but when she didn't respond to me saying, sorry, and just continued on, I didn't know what else to do but let it play out. So I did. After this went on for a few, she cupped her ears and yelled, stop scaring me. So I pulled over and asked if she was okay, and if she needed to go to the hospital or something, and she said no. I tried comforting her to say that I was just doing this to be nice. I didn't want anything in return, and I put my hand on her shoulder to comfort her without being too hands-on. What I didn't notice was that this girl had a knife on her, and it was now being pointed at me. I put my hands up again, trying to calm her down as she continued to talk. At me, I suppose. She started saying things like, I told you not to mess with me anymore, didn't I? This is your fault. You deserved what you got. If you would have just let me leave, we would both still be here. So now, I was a bit worried for my safety. If it came down to it, I could probably have subdued her, but... There was definitely something wrong here, and I feel like that wouldn't have helped the situation. 
I just sat quiet until she leaned back on her side of the seat, and I watched as she put the knife back in her pocket. I told her again that, really, I didn't want anything from her, and said that I just wanted to keep us both safe, and that I would take her anywhere she needed to go. She then told me to just drive, so that's what I did. I headed back onto the road and turned on some music to try and ease the tension and silence. After a while, she asked me if I knew the nearest hospital. I told her I could find one, and started making my way towards one. I am glad to help people, but I was so relieved when we found a hospital, and she asked me to go there. As I was pulling in, I just started saying my farewells and that I was glad to help, when she interrupted me and said, He's dead. I didn't know how else to respond, but I think I just said, Oh? Or, What? She then explained, It's okay, though. He can't hurt us anymore. Then she smiled, grabbed her backpack, and shook my hand as she walked into the hospital. I didn't even get her name. I don't know what she meant by that, who was dead, and any more of her story. I don't even know where she came from, so I couldn't really look up anything on her, but if what she said holds any truth... I hope that she got the help she needed, and I'm glad that she at least trusted someone to help her out. Another event that I found myself in was thankfully avoided before it could have been much worse. I drive through a lot of highways, especially late at night or early mornings when it's pretty empty, so when I see stranded people on the sides with their cars broken down, I'll try to help where I can. This time, I had one of those half-sized trailers, so it was a lot smaller than usual and easier to stop. I don't remember what state I was in, but I do remember that it was southern and it was hot. Ungodly hot. I saw a car that was on the side of the road with a guy walking back and forth behind it. I saw him far enough away to slow down and pull over in front of him. That's when he ran up to my side and said that the car seemed to be overheating, and he asked if I had any water they could use in sub of antifreeze until they got back to town. I hadn't seen another car in quite some time, so I was probably lucky to catch them, and I agreed to help. I got out of my truck and started walking over when I noticed a woman in the front seat holding a small baby. Again, really getting into my feelings since my wife had just had our first kid that year, I wanted to help. I looked under the hood and noticed that the engine was still extremely hot. He said he'd been there for a while waiting for someone to come help, but said that they were a few hours out. I figured it should have been cooled off by now, but I chalked it up to maybe it being because they were still in the sun... I started opening the reservoir to put the water in when I noticed it was full. You could see the liquid in there. At this point, the guy was over on the side by the woman, talking to her very quietly, almost in a whisper. Me, being naive though, I just told them it looked like the reservoir was full and mentioned that it might have been another problem, and I asked if any of their lights came on. 
He then took a minute to respond, and told me the keys were in the ignition if I wanted to check. I thought it was awkward at first when the lady was still sitting in the car with the baby, but I went around and I got in. As I tried to start it, I noticed it actually wasn't turning over, something completely different from an antifreeze issue. I looked over at him and I noticed that while he had a very serious look on his face, she looked nervous. I told them my thoughts and headed back to the hood to see if I could test my theory. And that's when I noticed movement in my peripheral vision. Next to the shoulder was the railing, but then it went straight up to a grassy hill with trees. At first, I thought I was seeing the trees swaying, but trees don't have arms and carry weapons. I figured out what was going on here. I told them I knew what the problem was and was going to grab something from my truck. I started quickly walking back when I noticed another guy walking out from the trees, carrying a damn machete towards my truck. I quickly locked my doors and started my truck as the guy started banging on my window, demanding that I get out. I took off as quickly as I could and watched as two other guys came out from behind the trees. I later learned that this is actually a common tactic on the highway. They get someone to stop, rob them for everything they have, and then leave. Thankfully, I noticed before it was too late, but I'm still mad at myself for even falling for it. I do still try to help people where I can, but now with a wife and two kids at home, I'm a lot more cautious about how close I get to people. So, just remember, not all truckers are these weird tough guys. Some of us just want to help and then get home safe, but also don't be as gullible and open as I was, and just be careful out there. I know this experience isn't the craziest, but it was very uncomfortable and scary at points, so enjoy. I'm quite an awkward person, and I could struggle to make friends due to my shyness, so in late 2019 to early 2020, I decided to join my sixth form's D&D club. I was hooked, and the fact that I had met a very lovely girl there, who I'll refer to as May, made it all the more enjoyable. It was the type of new friendship where all you want to do is spend time with your new bestie. And so, when May asked me to join their D&D party, I was overjoyed. I really did like her. She started off a little awkward, as was I, but she was really sweet and understanding, and we ended up having a lot more of our nerdy interests in common. The first time we hung out was... A lot more uncomfortable than I was expecting. Of course, as we had only been friends for a couple of weeks, so I knew it would be a little awkward. But I was not expecting how terribly unpleasant it turned out to be. We didn't seem to click for some reason. Everything was fine when we were in a group, but one-on-one? May was strange. She would completely ignore me for no reason all of a sudden, 
make very odd jokes, but in a, a serious manner, leaving the pause a little too long, and would then laugh, as well as other strange mannerisms. This was just before I left sixth form early due to personal reasons. It wasn't super off-putting. I wanted to get closer to her, believing once she got used to me, maybe she would mellow out a bit. Boy, I was so, so wrong. Once I did officially leave school, it may became intense. It started out with her asking to meet up every to every other day, keeping in mind that I had started working full-time by this point and had very little time to see people, which was fine, because she would understand that I was busy, right? Wrong. She started getting annoyed and upset to an inappropriate level. For example, she would make me send a picture of my calendar to prove I was too busy to see her, and even when she could see it was chock-a-block, she would start to try and manipulate me and make me feel bad for not being able to see her. Messaging me things like, I love you, but you're so difficult to meet up with. Calling me her best friend, and telling me she was crying because she couldn't see me. These conversations would happen around two to three times a week, and honestly, I started getting creeped out. By this point, we had only known each other for around two to three months. We'd met up alone around five to six times, and had seen each other almost every day at school before my departure. My creepometer had started to rise, but it wasn't at a point where I wanted to end the friendship. Sure, it was annoying how possessive she was, but it's not like she was stalking me. Yet. I distanced myself from her a little, just for my own sanity as her neediness has progressively gotten more intense, and it had become taxing on my mental health. But I still wanted to be friends with her. Underneath everything, May really was lovely. But that was until they came to my house for the first time, back when I was living with my parents. May turned up a lot later than we had agreed, which peeved me a little as they knew I had work the next day. But it wasn't a biggie, and that's when the really uncomfortable comments started. Now my parents' house is very nice. It's big, they have a gym and a hot tub, a lovely garden, etc. By this point, I was used to friends making a couple of comments like, Wow, your house is so nice, or damn, I love your house. My favorite was probably when my cousin compared the house's size to a horse's... Yeah. Now that's funny, but May wouldn't stop. She would drop how large or nice she thought my house was in every other sentence, which later developed to her slating the house and my parents' job constantly, telling me that I was shoving my parents' wealth in her face, or that my parents get their money because they take advantage of vulnerable children. Please keep in mind that I hadn't spoken about my parents' money or the family home once in this conversation, because talking about private things like that is very uncomfortable for me. Then, she started to get even stranger, 
asking me to cuddle and spoon, and telling me that I couldn't escape. Going on about how I was really happy with my boyfriend, and then making jokes that didn't really feel like jokes at my expense. I was very uneasy, and my parents could see it too. So, after that day, I told May that I was way too busy to meet up, so to stop asking me. She didn't. She started making jokes that because I wouldn't see her, she would just show up at my house and catch me off guard. She even changed her jog route so that she would run past my parents' house every day. And then she started messaging my boyfriend. It was completely out of the blue. I hadn't even given her his social media or name. I hadn't even really discussed my relationship with her at all. It was very uncomfortable for everyone involved, and my boyfriend was obviously not interested in being her friend, due to how uncomfortable she made me. She told him things like, You need my permission to date OP because I'm her best friend. And you have to be friends with me and like me because I'm OP's best friend. We were not best friends. She would spam my phone with messages, and I would reply around twice a month. I was completely smothered. It was so strange, but when I received a screenshot of their conversation from my boyfriend because he was creeped out, I was livid. The screenshot showed them having a very one-sided conversation on her behalf, where all of a sudden, she told him that she loved him. I didn't know what to say, and neither did he, so I confronted her. May tried to turn it around on me and said, and I quote, I was talking to your boyfriend, lol, and he knew about me. Impossible. I figured out you talked about me without my consent, and I'm heartbroken. It was surreal. I told her that I had mentioned that we met up and that she was a friend from school, which was true. Of course, I had told him that she made me uncomfortable, but she didn't know that, and the conversation ended there. Then she went to uni, and we didn't speak for a while. It was so relaxing. All the anxiety around the situation faded, May had made new friends, and I was free. But when she came home for Christmas... Everything started up again, and all that anxiety came back. I was going through a really tough time, so me and my mom went away for a few days, but when I didn't respond to May for three days because I was busy, she went crazy. She spammed me on every social media platform I have daily, Instagram, Snapchat, Discord, text messages, and more. The messages started off normally with her asking if we could meet up, and that she was home from uni, but they gradually became angry. And I won't lie, it was scary. I believed her when she said she would just show up at my house, and I was terrified that she would ask my friends for my new address, under the pretense that I had forgotten to give it to her, as they had threatened to do this in a choking form before. It felt obsessive, and I didn't know what to do. She wouldn't stop messaging me, 
and it became a constant stream of creepy messages. So I exploded at her. I told her that this behavior was creepy, that I've never been made to feel this uncomfortable by someone, that she didn't have boundaries, and I was scared about the joke-disguised threats that she had made. I ended it off with the fact that I didn't want to see her again, and could she please stop messaging me? I could have definitely been nicer about it, but that never seemed to work in our prior conversations when I had to defend why I was busy and couldn't see her. Her response was so strange. She became incredibly apologetic, and then she got angry. Then started to try and manipulate me into meeting up, apologizing, putting herself down, and then telling me that she loved me. I was so over all of her nonsense and weird behavior. I felt bad for her. I had wanted to be her friend so much, but she was obsessive and overbearing. And even though I tried so long to make it work, but she'd ended up pushing me away because of her behavior. I do wish her well, and I hope she gets help for whatever's going on with her, but creepy stalker friend... You are definitely not my cup of tea. Please, stay the heck away from me. I've been a trucker for many years now, hauling just about everything from local department store merchandise to dangerous chemicals and even items for the government that I had to be cleared for. I've been working for the same company for about 15 years at the time of the story, so I was a senior driver. I helped on the training side of things, did my share of ride-alongs to make sure the newbies were up to it, following the road laws and company rules. Because of this, that also meant they trusted me a great deal too. If I did something out of the norm, it was few and far in between, and I always had a damn good reason to do it. This was especially true if I did it without running it by anyone first. I was basically one of the bosses without the title or the paycheck, but I didn't mind. That just meant that I was looked at for help without the responsibilities of others, right? So... That's why the course of events was so strange for everyone involved. So, around the time of this story, I had been doing what we called halfway drops, where instead of going to the destination of the drop-off, I would meet another driver halfway and we would swap trailers and head back. We did this more often in the winter, since we were based up north trying to be nice to our southern folk that aren't used to driving in our harsh winters. On this occasion, we were nearing the end of the quarter and had to get a few more drops done, and I offered to do a double where I basically just chained them together, swap one, drop it off, pick up another, and head back. So, of course, there were times where I would stop to sleep for the night, I got to my first swap and the guy ended up arriving an hour late due to truck issues, which did set me back. Not too big of a deal, though. Then I dropped that trailer off and headed out to get my last one. 
That one was going to be a bit longer of a drive, so I made the decision to go ahead and stop for the night, or maybe just for a few hours at least, to get some sleep. I saw a sign for a rest stop coming up, and I decided that that would be my best bet. As I pulled in and parked, I radioed out that I was stopping for the night. I tried calling my wife, but it rang until it went to voicemail. I expected this, though, because she worked late nights, so I just figured she was still there. I decided to walk around to stretch my legs and use the restroom. As I approached the building, it looked like there were supplies in there. I could see packs of water, cigarettes behind the counter, candy... Yet the lights were off, except the one emergency light, and the door was locked. Sometimes, I've seen a single person working these, and they will close and lock if they go on break or something, so again, no big deal. I walked over to the restroom, and that place had not been kept up with. The doors were nearly falling off, there were no paper towels, and there was a normal bottle of hand soap sitting next to one sink. Like the type you would find in your home, but it was empty, and it looked like it had been empty for a while. So, I left. I walked back over to the shop, and it was still closed. There was an old, rundown-looking vending machine next to the ice box outside, which seemed to be off and had nothing in it. And it seemed to have some stuff in there, but... There was a sign saying that it couldn't give change, so it could only take cards. Like hell was I gonna put my card into that thing, though, so I just said forget it. But that's also why I bring little things to snack on, in case of situations like this. So I went back to my truck, had some jerky and trail mix, and then got myself ready to sleep. As I laid there, though, I felt like something was off. I didn't feel like I was in danger or anything, but more like I was supposed to be somewhere or not be somewhere, or almost like when you're forgetting something but cannot remember what. Just in case my feeling was off, I made sure the doors were locked and that my trusty baseball bat was nearby. I ended up falling asleep, though, and woke up on my own. I had an alarm on my phone, but something caused me to be jolted awake. Again? I looked around. Everything seemed normal, and nothing was disturbed. I used the restroom once more and headed out, not thinking anything of the situation. I called back out, making a joke and said that I was back on the road, and continued on. I was probably about an hour, max, into the drive, and when I started getting all kinds of missed calls and text alerts on my phone and several call-outs and pages from the radio. I picked up the radio to ask them what was going on, and my boss started going off, asking me where I'd been, what I was doing, things like that. It started getting out of hand, so I ended up pulling over to find out what the hell was going on. First, I called my boss to see what happened. I will say that our actual trucks have trackers on them, so they can get our locations especially since we sometimes transfer government and high-targeted supplies. This also helps in situations where we may end up somewhere that we're not supposed to be, to see if someone's doing something wrong or if we might be in trouble. 
this is where the trouble started for me. They saw me pick up the new trailer and drive for a while, and then they said they got a garbled radio message from me, but when they asked me to repeat, they didn't get anything back. They tried reaching out to me again and said that it sounded like someone was just whispering into the radio, and then they got nothing from me. However, they also got notified that my tracker was offline. This has now caused concerns because they didn't know what I said, if I was in trouble, and they had no idea where I was. So they tried calling my cell phone, and when it went straight to voicemail, they called my wife. She checked her messages, and saw that she had a missed call from me, and when she checked the voicemail, it was just static, and sounded like someone whispering again, but she couldn't make out what was being said. Between my voicemail and my work calling her, she was a bit worried and tried calling me, but got the same thing. She didn't even get a response to her texts. To everyone else, I had just disappeared, and they had no way to trace me other than having people drive to the location and follow the road back to look for me. And, let's face it, law enforcement had plenty of other more important things to do. So, I told them I was fine and that I had been. I explained that I ended up at a rest stop between these mile markers, and explained what it looked like. I apologized for getting everyone worked up, including my wife, because that was a storm alone, calming her down. And I told them I was en route to the destination as normal. Once I arrived at the drop-off, I reached back out, letting work, and the wife, know that I was heading back without any plans of stopping, unless it was for gas or food. However, my boss Agatha called me, and was asking me about this stop that I went to. I explained to her again where it was approximately located, and what it looked like, and she said that she couldn't find any rest stops in that area. Agatha's been there for just about as long as I have, so she knew that I wasn't fooling around, but was more so worried about the area, or if there were scramblers or something, as it could put me or other truckers in danger. I teased her, saying that if she didn't believe me, I could always stop at it again and take pictures to get a better location, but she said not to worry about it. So, I headed back out, so I could get home for a few days to my wife and my bed. On my way back, though, it really did start to bother me about this location. With everything looking so ancient, no one being at the actual little shop, and just getting an off feeling, I wanted to find this place again. Like I said, I've been doing this for a while, so I'm used to these roads and directions outside of Google. I saw the exit, and I decided to make a quick stop before finishing my drive. I did call into the radio and told them I was making a quick stop, and unlike last time, I got a response saying they got the message, basically. However, once I took the exit, the road seemed to go on longer than I remembered. Thinking to myself, maybe it's just because I'm coming from the other side and this side is longer? Except there was nothing else but the road. It just stopped. The concrete and all. There was a huge overgrown field on the side, but there was nothing there. No building, no shop, 
No restroom, no vending machine, not even a sign showing what the place was called. I was at a loss for words and explanation. I stayed here less than 12 hours ago, and it was all missing. I looked around to see if I was missing something, but there was nothing. I even had a signal, and I had called my wife as I stood in the field, explaining to her what was going on. She told me that she wasn't comfortable with the situation, and asked me to just leave and get back as soon as possible. What she says goes, so I was off. I snapped a quick photo of the exit ramp in the field as a memory, but that's all I had to give an explanation. Now, I wish I would have used that vending machine after all. Anyways, I got back and explained everything to Agatha, and even showed her the picture of the field. No one knows what to think of this, and we all agree to make sure we get a response back from the radio before we tune out for the night. And since then, I did just that. And I also started avoiding rest stops that I was unfamiliar with. This one dimension is enough for me. On Tuesday, the 22nd of February, 2022, I had a person come into my job. I work in women's clothing, and it was a customer that I'd helped on three occasions over the last eight months. They said they were a man with he-him pronouns, but his girlfriend liked it when he dressed up in women's clothing. I didn't find anything wrong with this because I enjoy helping people feel good about themselves. I asked if this was consensual, and he said yes, that he enjoyed it too. On this particular day, he came in, this time with the wig and dress on, which, again, I found no issue with. In fact, I felt proud of him. He asked for the fitting room once no one was in the store, and he asked for my opinion on something he was wearing. I agreed. He opened the fitting room door and was standing there with a blouse on, and no pants, but was wearing a pink and white polka-dotted diaper. I was shaken and a bit uncomfortable, but I maintained my composure and said the top was cute and then turned away. He tried on another outfit and was fully clothed this time and asked if we had anything shorter because his girlfriend likes it when he gets a pedicure and the lady doing his toes can see his diaper. I grew more and more uncomfortable, but being alone, I didn't say anything other than, oh, that's interesting. He asked if we had any long shirts that could be used as a dress, and I said yes and went to fetch them. I came back, and one by one, he came out in the tops with his diapers showing, and even told me a story about him peeing himself at a sex store, and his girlfriend then changing his diaper in front of the employee's who were turned on by this. The discomfort grew and grew until I was shaking and texting my coworker to come in early. He comes out of the fitting room in the dress he came in with and turned away and then acted like he was on the phone, but I noticed he was on the calculator instead. I stood there trying to calm down and everything, and when he comes back and says that his girlfriend gave him the task of taking a photo with me, in his bra and diaper. 
I declined, and I said I was not okay with that. He said that it was okay, but that he was going to get a spanking from her later. He left shortly after, thanking me for my help, but not purchasing anything, which was a first. I brushed the experience off as a weird occurrence, and then went on about my day, thinking that I wouldn't see him for a few more months again. I went home later that day, and my coworker texted me, saying he was back and doing the same thing to her, but that he left again without making a purchase. The next day, I asked my coworker to come in early so I wasn't alone, and she did. He came in again, and I went to the back because I was about to have a panic attack. I felt sexually harassed simply just looking at him and picturing the look he had when he was staring at me in the diaper. I overheard him asking my coworker for my name and when I would be working again. She didn't give him either, and he left making a purchase on a blouse that he had tried on the day before. My coworker told me that he said he identifies as she, which threw me off since it contradicted what he had told me the day before. At this point, I filed a report with the police. I genuinely think this is a ploy to traffic me. An officer came and talked to me, and I told him everything. The next day, I was off work, and I get a call from my coworker saying that he drove by looking into the store. And when my coworker caught him staring, he drove away. I went to the police station since I had to drop off my statement, and I informed them on what happened. The next day, I opened the store and had to go by the bank. When I was driving by the bank, I noticed his truck outside an auto parts store, and I called the investigator and told him this, and he got a tag number. I noticed he had a sticker for a local campsite that expires Monday. It's February. Who the hell is camping in February by a lake? All in all, I feel good knowing more about him than he knows about me. I know his name, where he works, and that he's got a campsite until Monday. I didn't see him yesterday or today, and I'm hoping he got the message that he scared the hell out of me. I will keep you updated as this goes on. Edit for some context. I'm 25 and female, and I'm 5'2". The person discussed in this post is about 6'5", 350 pounds, in his late 30s or mid-40s. Hopefully this will help shed some light on why I was worried to call this person out on their crap while I was alone. Thank you to everyone who's given advice this far, I do appreciate it more than you all know. Update. He came in today while I was working and the cops were called. He's been banned from the store, and if he comes back, he will be arrested. If anything else happens, I'll be sure to post it here. Thank you for reading and giving the words of encouragement. I appreciate it more than you could ever understand. I'm proud to have stood my ground today for my store and my employees. No one should ever have to go to work and be in fear for the sake of customer service. And screw any creep who utilizes customer service as a way to sexually harass people who just want to put food on the table. And again, I thank each of you so very much.
in the summer of 2019, my partner and I, both early 20s, decided to take a road trip to Vancouver, Canada, and then stay at the Golden Ears Provincial Park. We liked camping, had spring break, and we wanted to do something different, and make the most out of our vacation. My partner had never been out of the U.S., and it seemed like a crazy new experience. It was a six-day trip with Airbnbs in each state, and the grand finale was a reserved campsite at Golden Ears, and it was close to the water, at Alouette Lake. We packed terribly, had a giant tent, brought a bunch of fruit and veggies to eat healthily, stored them in a cooler that was too small, and brought a cutting board and a knife to break up the snacks while driving. We started in California, driving in our bright red Ford Fiesta. We drove through Oregon and Washington, and we made it up to Vancouver. We spent a day or two in each state, drank a little too much, and stayed out late. Canada was the best part, and Alouette Lake felt like walking in a painting. We walked barefoot on the rocks with our toes in the freezing cold lake. We hiked around, saw a beautiful waterfall where we saw a couple taking pics of each other for over an hour, and we started modeling the same poses from far away. Everything was perfect, and the campsite was empty except for the other couple. We went to bed early that night. It was quiet, and I woke up to crackling outside the tent. My partner was still asleep and snoring. I didn't think much of it because it was pitch black and probably an animal. The crackling continued closer to the tent. I sat up and grabbed my phone, and the brightness came on and I turned it off, almost blinding myself with light. In those two seconds, I could make out a person right outside of our tent. I froze and sat up. They weren't moving and were close enough to unzip the tent. I started poking my partner because I had no idea what to do. They woke up, and I said, There's someone outside the tent. Then I heard footsteps. Quiet footsteps. Walking out of our campsite. And my partner starts loudly saying, What? Repeatedly in a sleepy haze. A car or truck is parked right outside of our camping area, and no one is near our campsite. It starts up, and then drives off. They didn't turn their lights on until they turned the corner and we were out of view. So, I couldn't make out much, but it looked like a truck. Now I'm shaking, and my partner can't put together what's happening. I want to leave, but Golden Ears locks the gate until 6 or 7 a.m., and it's 1am, so we're going to be here. I make us move to the Ford Fiesta and sleep in the tightly packed car. She falls asleep immediately and thinks that I'm paranoid. Could it have been a park ranger? It seems too weird of behavior for a park ranger. So I sit there wide awake for about two hours. The car's locked, and I want to sleep, but can't. I'm in the passenger seat, and my partner's in the driver's seat asleep, and it's 3am. I'm sitting half awake, and I hear a car slowly driving up the road with their lights off as it rounds the corner. It had to be the same truck, and I was scared but 
my adrenaline was pumping. It slowly rounds the corner and pulls up directly in front of our campsite again, in the same spot. I feel like I'm going to throw up. I had no weapon but the kitchen knife that we brought for the fruit and veggies, so I grabbed the knife and tried to make myself look angry, crazy, and big. I sit straight up in the passenger seat holding the kitchen knife. I keep it straight up at eye level and stare deadpan out at this truck in the pitch black. Just like the father from the American Gothic painting. The truck stops and turns off. A light shines directly in my face coming from inside the truck, and I stare back terrified. In my bright red Ford Fiesta, holding my large kitchen knife, not blinking, the truck starts up and turns on its lights, and they stay on, blinding me. Then the truck pulls out and turns around and goes back where it came. My heart is pounding, and I wake up my partner and say that we need to get the hell out of there. We pack by just throwing things into our car and sit there awake until 6am. We drive home and we don't stop. We keep rehashing it and trying to make sense of the situation, and we ultimately decide that we both needed some sleep. I've been a trucker for most of my adult life. It's a fulfilling career if you like to be out on the open road, and I chose it for that exact reason. I wanted to see the country. I wanted to drive out in the middle of nowhere and just kind of be by myself. It can be lonely work, sure, but I think that's why I like it. I've never really been much of a people person. I could probably talk for hours about the psychology of why I like being alone... It probably some trauma in my childhood or something, but really, I think I'd rather just tell you about the one time I almost quit being a trucker. This happened back in the early 2000s. Somewhere around 2003 or 2004. I was in my mid-30s at the time, and I'd been driving a semi for a mid-sized shipping company for around five or so years. Back then and even now, I was always super careful with how I managed myself when I was working. I never went over my hours while driving, I always slept when I was supposed to, and I made sure that I was in a good way before I got on the road. I'd seen a few truckers make some major mistakes when they were tired, and I wasn't going to end up one of them. I was also good about my caffeine intake, limiting myself to the mornings so I didn't become too reliant on it. I never drank or took any substances, and I was always super careful when out on the road. I kept my distance from other cars and just followed the laws. That all said, for some reason, there are people out there that just do not seem to understand that my giant motor vehicle takes a significant amount more distance to stop than your average car. I'll never understand why people decide they want to cut us off on the highway with almost literally no space or distance between us, or drive in what is obviously a blind spot for our truck. Apologies for rambling a bit in this story. I just want to put it out there that us truckers do our best to control our vehicles, but we do need everyone else to pay a bit more attention 
and be a bit more cautious when passing or driving around us. So, this specific event is one that really messed me up, for reasons that will be obvious here pretty soon. But it was also one that made no sense to me. It was early spring here in the U.S., and I was driving through part of the Midwest, which had been particularly dry that winter. When we have dry winters here, the first rains of the spring can be particularly dangerous, as all the dried oil and grime on the road starts to seep upwards toward the surface. This causes major slick spots, almost like black ice. It had rained that morning before I got on the road, so... I knew that I needed to be extra cautious when driving on parts of the highway that only have two lanes. I saddled up, got out onto the road, and I was driving at a good pace. When I saw a vehicle in my side view with a driver that looked... agitated? I think that's the best way to put it. I saw him only for a moment when I glanced at the mirror. I noted the look on his face and braced myself for the potential of him doing something stupid. Side note, you can tell a lot by the look someone has on their face, and this includes whether or not they're going to be aggressive on the road. It's something I picked up along the way. So, I knew this car was going to be trouble, and my first instinct was to just let him pass me, so I let off the gas a little bit, and I slowed down so he would have enough room to get ahead. I looked over at him as he drove by me, and much to my surprise, this guy is flipping me off and screaming something that I obviously cannot hear. I shake my head and look forward, thinking it's best to just ignore him and move on. I watch him get slightly ahead of me, but still at a point where the rear end of his van is adjacent to my truck. I thought he was going to pass way too close, but lo and behold, he tries to swerve over into me. As in, he tried to hit me with the back end of his vehicle. I see it in time, and I pull slightly onto the shoulder, thinking, my god, what is this guy's problem? At this point, on this stretch of road, there really aren't any other vehicles around. It's just me and this guy, so... I pull to the right, slow down a bit to let him get ahead of me a few feet, and then pull back onto the road within a few seconds. At this point, he's ahead of me by a couple of car lengths, so I assume he's going to move on and just be an idiot elsewhere. I wish that that was what he did, because instead, he started hitting his brakes and slowing down. I started doing the same. There was a bit of back and forth between him and I, speeding up and slowing down, to the point where I was actually getting annoyed. Then, that annoyance turned into immediate panic and terror. Instead of just slightly slowing his car down to annoy me, he actually slammed on the brakes of his car. At this point, I was already back up to a decent speed because I didn't think much was going to happen beyond his little slow down and speed up. I slammed my brakes as best I could, and I attempted to roll to the right to minimize this collision, because that's what was going to happen. It was going to be a collision no matter what I did. As I mentioned earlier though, the road was somewhat slick 
and slamming my brakes, shifting to the side. I ended up clipping his van at an angle that caused it to flip and drag in front of me. I just did everything I could to try to control the situation, and I tried to cause minimal damage. The unfortunate truth was, there was no way for me to minimize the damage. With how we had connected, with the road conditions, and with the fact that I later learned he wasn't wearing a seatbelt, when the van flipped, he was actually thrown around to the passenger side of the vehicle, and then eventually thrown out through the broken windshield of his van. When all was said and done, I was calling the situation in, and I thought I was going to black out. I felt like throwing up and crying all at the same time, and part of me had this awful feeling, like this crash was fatal. After the police got there, and the medics, I talked them through what had happened. I had a very clunky dash camera that recorded footage for something like 20 minutes at a time. I made sure to stop it so I had the footage. I gave it to the police and my supervisor for their internal investigation, and I was cleared of fault for the accident, but I knew deep down in my heart that this was partially my doing. This man had some sort of manic episode or something, because he was acting irrational and crazy, and this unfortunate situation of timing left him in front of me at that exact moment. I have no idea why he was acting the way he was. I have no idea what was going through his mind when he thought it was a good idea to slam his brakes in front of me like this, but I do know that his death has weighed on my conscience since that day. I've had nightmares reliving the situation, I've lost sleep over the fact that I couldn't prevent it, and I've been actually seeing a therapist to try to get past it, because it's coming up on the 20th anniversary next year and it still eats at me. I want to end this story with a word of caution to people that drive carelessly out there. Please stop. When you get behind the wheel of your two-ton death machine and drive like an idiot, you're putting everyone around you at risk and I highly recommend you drop the antics when you're driving around semis, because you may feel invincible out on the road, but I can guarantee you that you're not. This happened in 2002. I was living in a ground-floor apartment in the corner of an L-shaped building, with the living room, kitchen, and parents' bedroom on the garden or balcony side, and my sister's bedroom and bathroom on the parking side. I was seven years old at the time of the facts, and all this happened over several weeks. Maybe months, but I hope not. At the beginning of summer 2002... I was often playing in the common gardens of the building with the other children, when one afternoon my mother called me and my friends to ask us if it was us who, to play, would have taken one of her panties that was drying on the floor of our terrace, and that it was not proper to play with women's underwear. But it wasn't us. As the weeks went by, several similar cases were reported to us, but always without explanation. Sometime after these events, my father, not being able to sleep one evening, 
decided to smoke a cigarette at the kitchen window, which is on the garden side, and decided to look around to clear his mind. As he looked closer at our right neighbor's terrace, my father saw a man standing there and not moving, and looking into their apartment. My father thought it was the neighbor and said, Hey, what are you doing, bud? The person turned around and looked at my father. That man was touching himself. Then, without saying anything, the intruder ran through the hedge and left through the common gardens. The whole neighborhood was informed, and it was decided that this could not last any longer. We children were forbidden to play outside in the evenings, and a feeling of fear settled in among the people of the ground floor. During that year, a new neighbor had moved in alone in the apartment, with a garden view above ours. Alerted and a little shocked by the incessant theft of women's underwear in my own building, my neighbor legally, with good reason for her part, bought a dissuasion gun, which shoots and weighs like a real gun, but shoots blanks, and she kept it in her bedside table. This neighbor loved animals, and had two parakeets, which often made noise, in a birdcage on her balcony, had cats, fish, etc. One evening, this neighbor came back from work, and she put her things down and went about her life normally like any other person coming home from work. But that evening, she saw on her balcony that, unfortunately, the birdcage had ended up open and her parakeets had disappeared. Thinking it was her own mistake, she was sad, but there was no reason to be scared. After getting through her evening, she went to bed and fell asleep. But something woke her up in the middle of the night. At first, she felt her comforter pull slightly, thinking it was the cat she held the comforter tightly, but it still pulled. Then she felt the bed move and a breath behind her. There was someone with her in her bed. The feeling of fear took hold of her. She jumped out of bed while opening her bedside table and took out her pistol, and fired twice in the direction of the man, who fled by jumping out the bedroom window, which was open. The whole building was awakened by these shots, including my father who saw a man land in front of our terrace and ran into the gardens. He grabbed what he could and he chased him. The police stopped my father, who was running in his underwear with a golf putter in the common gardens. Of course, he was proved to be the neighbor afterwards. A couple of minutes later, the police informed us of the arrest of a man in the housing estate next to us by a patrol who was watching our neighborhood after his thefts of underwear. We were surprised when we learned that the pervert was a man of 45 years, married, a father of three children, and in recidivism of several acts of voyeurism and break-ins. He had even entered a lady's house by climbing up the balconies while she was living on the fourth floor. Later, we learned that there was no charges to have been filed against him because, one, he didn't technically break into my neighbor's house, two, he didn't assault, rape, or even touch my neighbor, and they're not even sure that the thefts are necessarily attributed to him. So, here we are, living in a country where a person with serious voyeuristic urges that leads to more other serious things can't be supervised by prison or hospital staff because he technically 
didn't do anything. I came home from work today to receive some very unsettling news from one of my roommates. It started when I went to let the dogs out into the backyard. Our back door is in the kitchen, so on my way to let them out, I passed by the oven, and I noticed that it was on. It surprised me a bit because my roommate, Mandy, was the only other person home and she had been spending most of her time back in her room due to feeling ill. Even so, I figured that I'd better ask her before turning it off, on the off chance that she was actually using the oven. I went to the end of the hallway where her room was, knocked on her door, and asked, Hey, uh, is the oven supposed to be on? Like, are you using it right now? Confusion and concern was immediately apparent in her voice as she replied, What? No? I haven't even been out in the kitchen today. I shared her confusion and concern upon hearing this, but then pondered the possibility that Carl, her brother and our other roommate, had been the one to leave it on by mistake. I asked her if this could be the case, and she told me that Carl was still at work and had been since early that morning. This was when she and I began to piece together that something very strange had to have happened. I told her that I had just gotten home a few minutes prior. It was a little after 3pm at that point, and I had left the house at about 7.30 that morning. She then informed me, with horrific realization, that at around 11am she had heard noises coming from the living room, including a woman's voice, a chair moving, and the front door opening. She didn't realize at the time that I was at work, so she just assumed it was me and didn't think much of it. She then mentioned that, in hindsight though, the dogs were barking an unusual amount during this time. I asked her how long the noises coming from the living room went on, and she said that it was hard to tell because she was trying to sleep at the time, but that if she had to guess, they lasted about 20 minutes. Mandy, Carl, and I are the only current residents of this home. And as mentioned before, Carl and I were both at work during that time frame, so Mandy was the only person who reasonably should have been in the house. I thanked her for informing me of this, and then went back to the front half of the house and did a quick comb of the area to check for anything else that looked out of place or missing. I didn't discover anything else out of the ordinary, and as of the time of this posting, nothing else has come of it. Update. Pretty minor, but still pretty weird. I went to the whole closet to get more toilet paper for my bathroom, and I noticed an empty wrapper slash packaging for a new pillow in there. I didn't buy a new pillow recently. I asked both of my roommates if they did, and Mandy said that she bought a new pillow about a month ago, but that she threw the packaging away. This is my first time noticing the packaging in that hall closet, and I last went into the hall closet only a couple of weeks ago, if I remember correctly. I'll continue to post updates if I notice anything else weird, 
And if anything major happens in this situation, I'll make a whole new post to update everyone. Thank you so much to everyone for all the concern, support, and advice that you've been offering. When I was about 15 or 16, I was a real party animal. Always in the next town over at my friend's place. Most of the time, I was able to stay at their place overnight and head home the next day. But there were a few occasions where I found myself walking home. This walk was roughly two to three hours. If it was a nice night, I didn't mind it at all. It gave me a chance to sober up before I got home. No, my parents did not know that I was doing this. It was just me being a stupid teenager. At the time, there was a good 40-minute stretch that was pitch black with nothing but fields and forest on either side of the road. It's been since developed into a shopping center and homes. Every now and then, a car would pull over asking if I needed a ride home. Most times I would say no, thank you, and go on my way without issue. Two times, cabs offered me rides home for a discounted price, and they were both amazing people. They told me about their wives and kids and how I should really be careful walking alone at night. They would drop me off at my house and make sure that I got in before driving away. One night, walking home on that stretch of road... Minding my own business, a car pulled over in front of me. Not a big deal, this had happened before. As I was about to walk past the passenger side, the window rolled down. A guy in his mid-thirties asked if I was alright. He was very clean, handsome, and his car looked brand new. He had a smile on his face and a weirdly friendly tone. Every hair on my body stood up. This seemingly normal guy was giving me one of the worst gut feelings I had ever gotten in my whole life. I backed up from the car as he spoke to me. Being polite, I told him I was alright, and not too far away from home, but I thanked him for his concern. The smile never left his face, but it was wrong. Like it was being forced. He insisted that he could drive me home and then said, There are some crazy people in this world. <laughs> By this point, my body was screaming that I needed to get away from this person. I faked a smile, thanking him, again saying goodbye and goodnight. I started walking away, pulling out my phone, and I pretended to call a friend. He sat in that spot for a while before slowly creeping up beside me again, still giving me that weird smile. Are you sure I can't drive you home? I lied, saying that I was just talking to my friend and that he was on his way, keeping my distance from the car. You can wait in the car with me, he said with a bit of an odd tone in his voice. Yet again, I declined his offer. My skin was crawling and I'm sure you could hear the nerves in my voice. I continued with my fake phone call loudly, saying, Oh, you're a few minutes away? Great, you'll see me. The driver's face went completely blank. His smile was gone, 
not a single emotion in sight. He just looked forward and rolled up his window and started driving away. I waited until he was out of sight before running as far away from that road as I could. I made it home safe that night, although the rest of the walk, I was completely on edge. I was constantly looking over my shoulder and holding my phone up to my ear like I was talking to someone. Obviously, I can't ever really know what his intentions were, but if my gut was anything to go off of, I truly feel like if I got in that car, I would have never gone home again. Trust your gut and stay safe out there. And please, don't get into the car with strangers. There was this time when my cousins, grandma, my siblings, my mom, and I went to the zoo. We were expecting a great day ahead with no worries, just spending the day together. But then, after a while of walking and looking around, my grandma wanted to rest. So, she sat on a bench nearby. Beside her were a group of men in their late 20s. The rest of us just walked around the place, talking to each other, but I also noticed that the group of those guys were looking at us in a very... lustful way. My cousins, siblings, and I were all under 14, and I was the oldest. And this made me very uncomfortable because I had to take responsibility of anything that happened to us. My grandma and mum were in a deep conversation through the whole day, that they didn't notice the fact that these men started following us after we decided to continue our walk. About a minute or so later, we stopped to look at a certain animal. I don't clearly remember which, as all I was focused on was the catcalling that we heard behind us. Then, one of my cousins, who was the second oldest of us, whispered to me that the group of men were staring daggers at our back. I was freaking out so much, and she just laughed it off. I was too scared to even tell my mom about it because I thought she might scold me. I don't know what for, I was 14 at the time, so I just kept quiet throughout. So, later, I decided to take the lead and walk right in front so that my grandma and mom, who were walking super slow, while immersed in their conversation would be the ones between me and those creeps. I tried taking different turns as there were so many paths, and I just wanted them to get lost in the crowd and stop following us. So, many turns later, I met a dead end with only one door displaying the exit sign. So, I had to turn back anyway. And when I did, the creeps were standing like a few feet away from us, staring at us with smirks and no one else was in that path as it was leading to the exit. So, it was just us and those men here. As for my grandma and my mom, they still hadn't noticed anything yet. So, I boldly turned around and walked past those creeps without making eye contact, and didn't stop until I've scampered very far from there. My cousins and siblings had to jog to keep up, my mom and grandma were really slow as always. But all I ever had in my mind back then was to get rid of these guys. 
We ran deep into the crowd, even crossed a bridge to get to the other side of the river, just to make these guys stop following us. And when I turned around to look, they were still following us, with sinister smiles on their faces. I remember wanting to cry so badly, but I held my tears back. I noticed them suddenly stop at the foot of the bridge on the other side, and that's when they eventually stopped following us. It was then a huge wave of relief hit me and we continued our strolling and ease. It's been four years and this still haunts me. My cousins and I still talk about this from time to time, but the rest of my cousins and siblings don't know anything about this to this day. I've been debating sharing this due to the fact that my memory is very fuzzy about the whole story, and this is my first time posting. When I was about seven or eight, I'm 25 now, I was at my aunt's house for a family gathering. There was a lot of people inside. My mom is the youngest of eight kids, so I have a very large family so I decided to go sit out on the front porch. My aunt lives in town and four blocks away from the lake. I was sitting by myself on the railing of her porch like most of us kids did when we hung out out there. I had headphones in my ears listening to music when I saw a man walking down the sidewalk towards me. I wasn't alarmed or anything, since I practically grew up in the neighborhood and since a family gathering was going on in the house, I felt pretty comfortable to be by myself. I figured he was just on a walk like anyone else and would just walk on by. I was wrong. He stopped about six feet away from me and said hello. I took my headphones out and awkwardly said hi back. Mind you, I'm about a seven to eight-year-old small petite girl. He was being all friendly and said that he lives around the corner. I've never seen this man before and knew my aunt's neighbors on the block. And then he was asking if I could tell him where Adams Street is. I gave him a real funny look and said, Uh, it's right there, and pointed to it. My aunt lived three houses away from it, so it was a really stupid question to ask, since it was right there, and it was the street around the corner, so I felt instant red flags. I ended up getting off the railing and was slowly making my way to my aunt's front door as this man was coming closer to me. He then said, Can you show me where it is? Every episode of Disappeared that my mom would always watch was running through my head. I felt sick. I responded with, My mom will be back any second, and she can show you. He said, No, I want you to show me. And by this time, he was one step off from coming up the porch with his hand out. By the grace of God, my mom pulled in the driveway at that very moment. I didn't know when she would be back because she had run to the store to grab a few things for my aunt. She immediately knew something was wrong 
because she didn't know the man. I yelled to her, Hey mom, this man needs help finding Adams Street. As she was about to get out of the car, she had the window down. She gave me a funny look and said, What? And the man said, Never mind, and then took off down the road. I never had an incident like that ever again, and that was the first time. I thank God for my mom pulling into the driveway when she did, because if she hadn't, I don't know what would have happened. That was today's episode of the As the Raven Dreams podcast. Thank you so very much for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed these scary stories. If you want to support the channel further, please do consider checking out my YouTube channel. Just search As the Raven Dreams on YouTube and subscribing. You can also join the channel or go to my Patreon for early access to all of my content. All of it's appreciated and never expected. But if it happens, thank you. All that said, friends, I will see you on the next episode of the As the Raven Dreams podcast. But of course, until then, sleep well. <laughs>